run to win. Uh, I, I'm, I'm super excited about the, this today, this text today. Um, it's just, it's like classic. It is like one of Paul's like, I feel like iconic texts. Uh, and it's so relevant. The fact that it's relevant then is, is amazing because it's, it's always relevant. It is for all cultures, for all people, for all time. So um, looking forward to it. Let's pray and we'll get started. God, we thank you so much for each person here. Lord, we thank you for um, the grace to be able to, to be here. Lord, the ability. God, you've uh, blessed us so much with um, health and, and uh, God, just a, a, a car and provision, food for the church, a building, a place to meet brothers and sisters who love one another. So God, we thank you for that. And we pray that you would just speak to us and knit our hearts uh, closer with you and together as we grow, God. So speak to us by your word, uh, in your word, by your spirit. Um, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to show us, what you want to teach us. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you missed last week, it, it'd probably be good to go back. We have it on the podcast, and you can check it out. Um, the history of Corinth was, it was a mess, like major, major mess. Like uh, they were all about their appetites, fulfilling their appetites and everything that you could imagine. They were really smart. They had, they're well, very well educated. Um, and they had culture like crazy athletics, all these things. Actually, a lot of things you could see here, Southern California, America. It, it's very reminiscent but their God was their belly, their appetite. And yet, God had a, had a people there. Remember, he had told Paul, don't worry, I have people in this city. Even though you're looking at it and it's wicked, I got you. And so that's what this church is made up of. We get some glimpses at the very beginning. This is a church who they, they trusted God in many things. And they were looking forward to his return and, and spiritual gifts. God was using them in various ways. But they had issues with division. Usually issues with division are also issues with pride and ego, right? Those, those go together, division, pride, ego. Because it says, if you're right, I, I got to be right, so you can't be right. And so I got to be better than you. So I've got to, that's the dividing line is, is me and truth and you and your alternate weird view of truth, you know. So they'd struggled with that, and, and they'd even gone as far as to say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Christ, right? Oh, yeah, we're so holy, right? Oh, you guys are all of them. Well, guess what? I'm of Christ. They're the, so, yeah, so who are those people? Yeah, right? Paul's saying, like, we are all of Christ. Like, who am I? Who's Apollos? Who's Peter? Did I, and Paul says, did I die for your sins, by the way? Was I raised again from the dead? No, it was Jesus. So in verse 17, which was the last verse we ended with last week, said, for Christ did not send me to baptize, because they were even saying who they got baptized by. And Paul's like, I'm so glad I only baptized a few of you, because you, you make such a big deal out of it. I'm glad I didn't baptize more of you. But I, he didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. That's what we're going to get into next. I didn't bring this good news, this gospel, with wisdom of words. 
I didn't tweak it. I didn't try and finesse it. I didn't try and, and butter it up for you. I give you the real thing because in that is the power. And I don't want to lose any of that effect. So verse 18 is kind of this played out. He says, for the message of the cross, so the message of the cross, the gospel, right? That's the same thing. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness. Think, keep in mind, think way back in the day, what was the cross? It was reserved for like the worst of the worst. It was this cruel torture instrument to deal with the worst criminals possible. So they have an agonizing death. The cross wasn't so cute and on like throw pillows and stuff like that and on your couch, right? It's like, I, you've heard the illustration of an electric chair, how like people have electric chairs on their necklace. Like it's, it means a lot to me, you know, like, and there's nothing wrong with, with having those things because it, it, we look at the cross of Christ. That's why we do it. But it, it kind of does lose some of its um, grit, right, <laughs> over time. I think if you ever saw a crucifixion, it might change that. Even watching a movie like The Passion of the Christ, it's, like, hard to watch, right? Because you're like, this is just, this is, I can't handle this. Like, you're hanging from it, and you die How? Because you can't breathe, because you can't pull yourself up. Maybe it's just like agonizing, right? It's just a torture instrument. But the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. The gospel's foolishness to those uh, who, who don't know, it's, who are perishing. And notice it says perishing, not like who will perish. It's perishing, those who are in the process of perishing right? And it also says, but to us who are being saved. This is like very real, like not just, oh, you know, save it for, you know, to the end of my life. And then all of a sudden I'm going to like get saved and it'll be good. Everything's going to be good. It's, it's a process now, right? When we hear of salvation, we hear of the, the three things, right? There's the justification. We are justified in the fact that Jesus died for us and we are now his. We are saved. There you go. Sanctification, that's this right here, being saved. Process of being saved. This is like your life being your own, your life being a mess, your life having really no good purpose. Just squandering all the gifts you've been given. It is being saved, being redeemed, being sanctified, set apart for a good purpose here. And then glorification is when we go to heaven, it's done, right? That's it. Like we're no more sin, no more nothing, none of that. It's complete. So we're in the process of sanctification, those who are being saved, but also to those who are perishing. And I think it's important to understand that the world around us that is outside of Christ is perishing not just in the sense that like we're perishing like obviously we're all getting older you know sometimes you'll see like an actor from a movie that like you haven't seen in like many years and you see him and you're like oh whoa time is really something isn't it you know and you just realize like we are all even with all the science and and uh, plastic surgery and everything we have to offer it just time is it you only have so much we are all perishing in that way. But this is perishing in like a right now continual, like rotting out way. I think it's important to see it that way. 
One of the things, remember, is when we talk about repentance is the changing of mind. To see walking in the ways of this world as perishing, that changes the way you think. You're dying. You're living a life of death. You're abiding in death. How's that going for you? If you look around, it's pretty obvious that is what is being abided in, right? It's death. The roots of it is death. It's not going the way you want it to go. The things that you think that you have, the things that you think that you're gaining, you're not. It seems like a... I think I, I was reading a, in a commentary by Gordon Fee that, that no human in the right mind would come up with this story for their all-powerful God, would they? No human in their right mind would be like, oh, here's the almighty, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. Oh, this is our God, omnipresent. He came as a man. He was ridiculed, he was disgraced, he was spit on, and he was crucified. Yeah, that's, we'd all would have come up with that, right? What would our story have looked like? God came down and wiped out everyone I don't like, and then we just get to live with him forever, and we're super rad, you know? We don't lose any more softball games, as long as we live. There's, but that's not something that they would ever have come up with. This message was foolishness. And, and if you, you, you hear people that are opposed to the gospel, you hear them ridicule some, some message about some Jew came down that says he was God, died, and then says they were risen from the dead. Uh, that's not a Messiah. That's no Messiah. That is a common criminal who died. There's nothing you can... That, that's God? That's the foolishness. That the world sees is the gospel's foolishness, but really it will, you know, get into a little more, but Paul really most likely understood this firsthand, didn't he? We know, I mean, you're reading through, if you've been reading and you're consistent in the reading, you know, Stephen, right? It just showed what was, what was, where did they lay all of the, the, all of the lots and everything or the, the clothes down? They laid it all at whose feet? Young man named Saul. I think Paul hated this idea of Jesus being the Messiah because they were looking for a Messiah and they didn't want him to look like that. That is not what they wanted. Uh, No, not him. Not that guy. Right? It's like, it's like, no. I mean, that you can't say that's my Messiah. I'm waiting for him. He's coming. That can't be him. Of course, Paul was uh, confronted with a very stark reality. I think Paul understood the foolishness side. I know what it's like to not be able to see it. I get it. But he says, to those who are perishing, uh, or uh, yeah, at the end, yeah, those who are perishing, to us who are, uh, to those who are perishing in the continuation, in the process of perishing, those who are being saved is the power of God. That's us. We don't magically get better. That's the other side about perishing. Oh, I'll be better when I'm older. No, you won't. You'll just be more stuck in your ways. You'll, be, you'll, just, you'll set your life up so you're more convincing. You'll convince yourself more that you're better. But you'll notice you push people away. The friends go. You find yourself more and more isolated. We don't naturally get better on our own, do we? We perish more and more. For, uh, 2 Corinthians actually, uh, chapter 4, verse 16, in spite of our uh, actual natural man perishing, there's something that happens in the life of a believer 
He says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's that salvation process. That's that being saved, that sanctification. Our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Oh, this is good news. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but that the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This is, in essence, and remember, this is 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to this church. He's like saying, if you get this for what it really is, and it's, this is that section of earthen vessels, jars of clay, the gospel being in this vulnerable state, I mean, this vulnerable vessel, so that the excellence and the power may be of God, not of man. Like this, everything that's happening here, when, when God is, when you're saved, when you're being sanctified, when you're in that process, it is all working out something really, really good in your life. And it is life itself. You notice that. You go through struggles. You go through trials. You're like, oh God, please stop the trials. I'm over it. I'm done. And it's always right away, right? I've learned my lesson, God, day two. I've learned my lesson. I'm done. I've got it. Okay. All right. Wow. I thank you, Lord, that you showed me that. And thank you that I got it so quickly. And he's like, oh, okay. It's going to go a little longer. And you're like, no, no, I'm good. He's like, yeah, you're good, but you're not good, good. Let's just just chill out, okay? Because you still think you did this, didn't you? You still think you're in control. You still think you got the keys, don't you? All right, God, yeah, perfect. I can handle this, and then we'll move on. And every trial lasts a couple days longer than you think possibly you could handle, right? This is just longer than I imagined. This is harder than I imagined. And, you, and it always ends up with you broken and being like, I don't know what else to do. And God's like, oh, well, that's cool because I got something for you. You found out something about yourself and that you are not all that, but that I am capable of holding you in this. And then in the midst of it, there's something built up in you. Paul is willing to call it, a, it's a light, an, a light aff, affliction. I think Paul experienced things that were not light afflictions. But it, it's for a moment. He's like, those things are like for a moment. When you look back on those things that you struggle with, even things that lasted a couple years, you look back and you go, that was just a moment in time, but the, the weight, the things I gained out of that season were eternal. I'm no longer living for this world. I no longer have all my trust in myself or in the wisdom of man. I'm not looking to society to tell me what's good because they had no answers. I'm looking to you, God. That's you. I need you. It's only you. When it all comes down to it, even your friends, they fail you. Their advice isn't quite good enough. There's nothing they can say to comfort you because God's like, I've reserved that place for me. Friends are good. Those are, they, they will bless you. They will encourage you. But at the end of the day, it's like, you got to have this relationship with me. And in doing so, you're going to be so blessed by it. Verse 19, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This is from Isaiah 29, verse 14. God does not bow to human wisdom. Amen? He does not need to justify himself with us at all. 
He does not need to even explain himself, although he does more often than not give us a bit of a path to follow, right? It definitely gives us a path to follow, but he gives us some reasoning, even in here, what Paul's sharing with us. We need to realize where we're leaning our weight, what, where we put our weight. What foot is your weight on, right? That's, remember when you used to come up behind your friends, maybe you did this, maybe not, and you're sitting there and you're looking at which leg they put their weight on. Which one is it on right now? My right leg, right? So what do you do? You come up and you bump them and then they fall, right? And it's just really embarrassing and then you blow out their ACL and you're no longer friends and whatever. I don't want to see that happening after church, although I know some of you do it because it's happened to me before here, you know. But you're looking, which, which, whatever leg you're leaning on, that is the one that you're, that's where you've committed to. Right now, I'm like, this is my right leg. I like my right leg. It is my power leg, right? I like, I'm sitting here, I could do this, but I would prefer this. But you find out which one you're leaning on when it all comes down, you find out, okay, where am I really at? Where am I, you know, if you're trying to find out which way a kid's gonna skateboard, what do you do? You push him, right? And the right foot goes forward and the right foot stays back. This is how you're supposed to do it, right? I don't know which one I am. Okay, well, just stand there. Just relax. And they go, okay, that's it. That's what you want to do. Oh, what? That, it was that simple? Yeah, you're already leaning one way. It's just you had to see what it was. We got to find out who we rely on, the wisdom of the world or God. He says, where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? He's like, where, where are these brilliant minds? By the way, some of the most brilliant minds affirmed God throughout history. I think a lot of the innovation, a lot of the blessings we have in our life is, is due to uh, Christians who knew that they were created for more of a purpose to give, to invest, to use their mind. That's good. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? God has, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. Man, go throughout the history books and see how foolish mankind has been throughout the generations. You don't have to look that far back. We are constantly making the same mistakes, but we believe it when it's happening in front of us. We believe the wisdom of this age. We think it's fine. We think it's good. We think, well, everybody's kind of going that way. Might as well just kind of go with it. It's, I can see they make some valid points, but it is 100% human wisdom. God has made us to look like fools. He's taken the wisdom of this world to be foolish again and again. Yet the principles of scripture, the promises of God, they remain. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. So this is Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher, so are, are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like, do you have any clue how far off this is? The wisdom 
that you think you have. My, my thoughts are not, are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. So we got to like stop thinking of God as like an elevated version of our human intellect and wisdom. Oh, he's just like a little better than us. I was listening to a message by David Guzik on this subject. And he said, we sometimes think about like, like God and man as, as man is kind of like farm league baseball where the kids are seven years old and they're trying to get the ball over the plate and they can't really get it over the plate. And, you know, it's just kind of a mess, but it's also awesome. You know, that's man. But then God is Dodger Stadium, okay? Out there, they, they didn't win the World Series, but, you know, they're professionals. It's like Clayton Kershaw. It's like, oh, it would be like Clayton Kershaw pitching against, uh, you know, Cannon, my son. Good luck, right, Cannon? Good luck. It's not going to happen. It's not even like that. That's in the same realm. That's in the same universe. It's more like chess to checkers, right? You're playing checkers. He's playing chess. But, but way, way more than that. Understand that, though. So it, it kind of like stops you from thinking, well, this doesn't make sense in my logic. Well, your logic is flawed. His ways are higher than your ways. He doesn't, he doesn't abide in the same world you abide in. Do you guys understand? There's actually a lot of freedom in this, in settling this in your mind and just being like, well, that actually makes a lot of sense that God who created everything, I've not been able to speak anything to an existence. Have you? I can barely handle my like weekly schedule, right? Without forgetting something. I'm not like keeping the, you know, earth orbiting and, you know, I'm not doing all of that. I think it's important to say to have doubts and struggles brought before the Lord is natural, even helpful. To claim superiority over him is like the epitome of foolery, right? Like to think that you can, that you have something on God and and you really, you kind of caught him in an ethical dilemma. It's ridiculous, right? 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to those who believe. It actually pleased God to bring it in such a simple way, but such a humbling way. I think that a lot of the issues people, we've gone to great lengths as a society to try and silence God. Like you work so hard to make sure that there, that you don't, there is no option for a God. Like you kind of have to be almost blind to, you have to be blind to really fully silence yourself. Nobody knows that, right? They, they couldn't say, I know for a fact there's no God. You can't do that. And there's holes in those arguments that, that speak of life without him. There's a, a, a yearning and longing in us for him, literally put in there. That's why we fill it with little gods, whatever it is. One of those little gods is wisdom, intellect. You don't realize that is your God. So you, the world, um, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. So through the best the world could offer, they did not know God. Why? Again, it is a smash to your ego. It says that there is one higher than you that you have to trust in, obey, and has a plan that might not be your plan. But there's a beautiful simplicity and joy in following that too, right? Like if you like understand God is good, he has a good plan, and he literally is with me, he's for me, that is like a relief 
Because when things are going haywire, you're like, God's got a plan. He's got this. I know he's got this. I would never plan it like this. And yet, here I am. I would also have never gotten the results I got out of just following him. I think it's also important to understand uh, how, how much we were, like, really needed a savior. That's part of the issue. Is people don't think they need a savior. They think they're good. They don't think they need a Messiah. They try and reconcile themselves in these really inconsistent, weird ways. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, that's really, really hard to tell. What is a good person? I'm a pretty good person. All right. That's interesting. I think it's important to know, and this kind of sets you up to be like more grateful, how much the price was paid. Your friend says, hey, I'm going to take you out for lunch. Let's go. Let's go to lunch. You're like, okay. They take you to Burger King, and they get you the two things off the dollar menu. And you go, thanks, man. That was, like, cool. Two bucks, you know. That's cool, man. I appreciate it. That's, I know I didn't put you out that much, but I do appreciate it. So, you know, I don't feel like I owe you that much. Like, in return, we're going to come back here. We'll do the exact same meal. Here you go. But, like, say someone takes you somewhere, they're like, hey, I'm going to order for you, I got you. And you, and maybe you've had this happen before. You happen to see the bill as it passes by, and you're like, oh, no, that is a lot of money. Like, you said you're taking me, right? Because I would not order that, you know? Like, have you ever, ever been in that situation where, like, let's go out to eat, and you're, like, looking at the menu, you're like, oh, I'm just going to go with the bread. This is a bad situation. You're like, or I'm just ordering a salad. If you ever, if I'm ever just ordering a salad, that place is too expensive, you know? And that means I'm going to eat later somewhere else. Zero, yeah, this is not good. But when you see, maybe you see it go by and you're like, oh, somebody just did it. You're like, whoa, that was, that was really generous. Like, I can't believe how much that cost. And you chose to do that anyway. You know, it kind of gives you that you know, perspective. The idea of man, though, being, being able to justify or understand things through their own wisdom is actually ridiculous. Spurgeon has a really good quote on it. He says, it is certain that a blind man is no judge of colors. A deaf man is no judge of sound. And a man who has never been quickened into spiritual life can have no judgment as to spiritual things. <laughs> That's heavy, right? That's good. That's good stuff because you like, recognize what it is. This world is one fallen head instructing another fallen head. Don't be deceived. There is no one better than you on this earth. And you're not better than anyone either, right? We are all in a desperate need of the grace of God, and he alone is the one that justifies us. He alone is the one that can rescue us. And save us. Verse 22. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. This is what the world is saying we need. Oh, the Jews request after a sign. Well, let's give them a sign. That's what they want. That's what they need. This is how we can fulfill them. This is, I think, Paul's uh, reconciling. You know, we don't, we're not going to bolster it up with human wisdom. I'm not going to add things to the gospel to, to make it more, make more sense in my mind. A lot of times it's what we do in the world we live in, right? As we go, ah, this, this message is kind of getting dicey. Let's kind of sit, sit around the you know, peripheral and kind of just kind of tap around it. Be good to people. Be the homeless. 
right? Love one another. Very good. But the message is the cross. The Jews, he said, the Jews request a sign. Let me tell you something. The Jews request a sign. You give them a sign, it's not enough. The Greeks, what do they want? They seek after wisdom. You give them wisdom, it's not enough. The Greeks were known at this time for just sitting around and just being like contemplating wisdom. Hmm, interesting. That doesn't change my life, but I, I've appreciated this conversation we had. Now let's move on from here. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Here you go. This is it. He, he, he says, all we can do is preach Christ crucified. Nothing else. That's the most, the, the most effective thing we can do is not cater just to the culture. I'm all about meeting people where they're at with the truth of the gospel. But as soon as we get away from Christ crucified, then we lost everything. This is, a, this is like a dangerous state to be in, right? So easy to do too. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The same message that's foolishness to one is life to the other. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Even this message that you call foolishness, it brought about salvation. It's the greatest news we could ever hear. So the thing you call God out for being foolish in was actually the best thing mankind has ever participated in. Amazing. I think, think about Paul, and he kicked against the goads, right? Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you kicking against the prods that are leading you to me? Why are you kicking back against the thing that's directing you in a good way? This is, this is the wise. This is the foolish. This is the, these people of the age. They don't want to listen. There's a willing disregard to truth. Spurgeon had an unbelievable quotes on this. I love these. He says, those who thus veil an unwelcome truth imagine that they make disciples. They veil an unwelcome truth because they don't like the truth. Whereas uh, they are only paying homage to unbelief and comforting men in their rejection of divine propitiation of, for sin. Whatever the preacher may mean in his heart, he will be guilty of the blood of souls if he does not clearly proclaim a real sacrifice for sin. If you believe this message to be true, this is what we proclaim. And this is what is saved for generations. This is where we find our salvation. And he says this also in another text. Certain divines tell us that they, that they must adapt truth to the advance of the age. Which means, and this is fun, this is in Spurgeon's time, right? Nothing new under the sun. Which means that they must murder it and fling its dead body to the dogs. Which simply means that a popular lie shall take the place of an offensive truth. Is that heavy? <laughs> I'm not trying to... Be heavy for the sake of being heavy, but we got to understand like where our true strength is, where our hope really lies. It's not being nice people. It's not, that's not really what it is. Although this will affect that and that will come out of you. But the truth of the gospel is that you are dead in your sin and you need a savior. And in that is what springs out life. You don't just try and imitate life. You, it becomes you. He, he is in you. 
The same spirit that lived in him now lives in you. So you're not just trying to like do what a Christian would do. You are one. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. So if you found yourself kind of like on the peripheral, like ah, it's really hard to act like a Christian. It's really hard to be like one. Yes, it is. You're right. Because there's still that whole flesh thing going on. But if you never even accepted that, you need him. It's really hard. He says this, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many uh, noble, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. He says not many. So there's some that are called, right? I think the idea of it, not many is it's harder if you're noble and mighty and have these, basically you have things afforded to you. I think having uh, affluence in whatever it might be, ability, um, standing, it makes it a little harder to understand how desperate you are. That's basically what, it, what it's saying. doesn't mean you can't, but it's a little harder, right? That's like the harder than for the, a camel to go through the eye and the needle than a rich man, right? to enter into the kingdom because they don't, you got to know you need it. And sometimes it's harder to find when you're not desperate like those who are down and out, but we all need the same thing. It's all about your heart. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Man, this is just about getting on page with God. You want to know why Paul's saying this to this church? It's because they were arrogant. That's evident in their division. They had a lot of good things going for them, but they had allowed sin to enter into the door because they thought they were bigger than God. Like, yeah, he said that, but it's a different age. It's Corinth, man. He doesn't get it. It's different here, you know. He's like, you guys got to understand there's no flesh to glory in his presence. You're not special like you think you are. Like you're not, you don't have like some word that, that goes above what God has already said. But there's rest in that. Again, it's not like bondage. I also heard this, mess, this in the message from Guzik. I thought it was awesome. He says, you think of a dog and a dog that goes into training to be a um, like a, 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 an aid, like a help dog, a helper dog for blind or whatever, service dog. And those dogs have good lives. Like, if you notice that? They can go places, man. They can like, it's like you go to a restaurant and it says no dogs, except for service dogs. We got a water bowl for them. Come on over, you know. Those dogs like live better than people, I think sometimes, you know. And they just cruise and they know it too. They're like, it's usually like a golden retriever. It's all like nonchalant, like coming in, check out my vest, you know, and it like sits there and it sits down. And then sometimes, sometimes they're not service dogs, you know. Like I remember one time I was at the DMV and there was like, uh, is that dog a service dog? Because you can go in a different line that's way faster. And the guy's got like this pit bull that's trying to like eat someone. He's like, yeah, this is a service dog. And he's like, so they go in and the pit bull. And I'm like, that's not a service dog, I don't think. Not that pit bulls can't be, but that one was not, you know. The blood was dripping. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but you, a service, you know, you take a dog and you bring them in. But a service dog has to be, they have to be dependable. They have to be obedient. What's amazing is the, the, the blind dogs that they can like help you cross the street. They like know when it's time. And you're like, those dogs are awesome. They're, they're smarter than people. Not like they might be. No, they are. Yeah, there's people that don't know how to cross the street at that time. Uh, but 
those dogs have to be under restraint. And, and imagine a dog saying, I need freedom. I don't have freedom. I am done with this. I'm not listening. You tell me to go here, I'm sick of it. I'm over it. I'm doing my own thing. I'm going to the bathroom where I want. I want to go where I want to go. We're not going to wait for that light to turn green. We're going to go the other way. That dog will quickly lose all of the things that made its life amazing because it, it, it thought that it was getting freedom, but in the midst of doing so, had lost all of its freedom. Now it's sitting there in a chain, pooping where it wants to, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that word, right? I guess. Going to the bathroom where it wants to go, and it's not listening to anybody, and it's not doing anything. But that is now its life, just chained up with nothing going on. So it's an unruly dog, absolutely disobedient, but very free in its own mind. There's nothing better we can do than find ourselves in the obedience of God. That is where freedom lives. That is where adventure lies. You imagine golden retriever. It's like, oh, I'm a dog, man. I sit outside. You, of all people, have been chosen to come on in. Come on over. We're going to train you. You're going to have a rad life. You're probably going to Yosemite. You don't even know. You're, the dog's all majestic, like homeward bound, you know, like shadow from homeward bound, like sitting over the top of the ledge, like this is my life, and it's good. But we obey, and we reap the benefits. He says this, because no flesh can glory in his presence. That's the point. Verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Became wisdom, not is like leads us to wisdom. Became wisdom from God. When Christ was the, is the, the message of the cross, Jesus is the love of God and the wisdom of God extended. You want to know what it looks like? There it is. The world had no clue what to do with Jesus. And in doing so, God took this most extreme, outrageous circumstances and offered up salvation to the people who hated the plan. Thank you, God. He says, and righteousness, not just justified us, I mean, not just like appease, say, okay, you're fine, but gave us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Man, what a, what a timely message. Right? I think it, for the world we live in right now. Man, to, to reassess, to refocus your entire life on the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man. Understand this, the wisdom of man is leading to death. The wisdom of God is leading to life. Test and taste and see. If you're, if you're choosing the wisdom of man, you already have tasted, haven't you? You already know there's, it's a dead-end road. There's nothing on the other side. You tasted and seen of the goodness of God, and what do you have? It's life. Is it all easy? Oh, I signed up for an easy... It's not easy, but it's life. And even in the midst of those struggles, those light afflictions. For a moment, God does something so insanely miraculous that blows your mind. He changes you from the inside out, makes you more like him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, the message of the, the, the cross, the good news of the gospel. 
that we are saved in you. We're not like, don't have to do anything else. There's nothing else. You're all trying to take stakes and claims and you're going to ruin the good work that God's doing in your life. Take your hands off of it. Enjoy being in it together. Recognize that a group of people are way better at ministering as a whole than one person. Everyone has blind spots. But when you take everyone together, those blind spots are so minimalized, you know? They're covered by each other. Because I could see that, you can't see that. I like to talk to people about stuff. I'm like, I didn't even see that angle. Never even thought about that. No clue. Had no idea. Just like if you ever see a plant up here that's dead, I can't see it. Okay? So have grace. I need someone else to make sure the plant's alive because I don't know, okay? That's something I'll never see, but someone else will be like, oh, oh, let's go change out that plant. There's a plant there? I never even knew it was there. Is that what I've been kicking, you know? I've been killing that plant, haven't I? You were supposed to water it. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't see it. (laughs) How could you not see it? Well, how could you not see other things? We're all blind in one way or another, but we need each other. And this is the idea of, of being together, growing together, Working together. You want to know the best way to win a race is to get a team. Isn't that crazy to think about? You think, um, no. To win a race, you have to be first. But the idea is to train with a team. Tell me, was have you, maybe, maybe you don't, don't raise your hand. You don't have to raise your hand, but you can like give a little silent nod or whatever. You've tried to do the Bible in a year before, but knowing that there's a bunch of people around doing it has given you wings to do it, maybe, right? Yeah, I saw some, okay? I see those weird nods. <laughs> but that, that's because there's something about that, about being like, we're in it together. We're doing it together. We're growing together. This, this is fun. We're, gonna, we're all gonna be better because of it. You train as a team, you all get better. You run with people who are faster than you. You will get faster. Whatever it is that you do, do it together as a team. You grow together and grow and become more and more able to do the things that you wanted to do. You're a lone ranger. You don't know what you're up to. You have no no idea, no clue. Uh, Cannon had his uh, um, baseball assessments yesterday, and we've been practicing a whole bunch, you know, like just not the last month we kind of haven't, but we'll go out and we'll throw. And last year we couldn't get in because we just moved to Carlsbad and the league was full and the winter league was Sundays and just wasn't going to work. And so he's been just chomping to play. I mean, he loves baseball and he's just, just can't wait. And so there's like that, that hesitancy of like, where's he at? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) How good are these kids? And some of them are like amazing. Like you could sign them a contract right now. They're ready to go. But it was so cool to see just kind of where he's at. And you go, okay, yeah, okay, he's in the mix. That's great. But you're thinking, now him being around all those kids that are, that are especially the ones that are really good, they're all going to get better. Everyone's going to grow. Everyone on that team is going to get better as the season goes on. Like as much as I work with him, after a while, he's like, I don't want to do that anymore. Well, you know, when the other kids are doing it, he will keep doing it. And he will, be, he will find that there's some unity in that teamwork and he's going to see things that they say and the coaches are going to tell him things that I don't tell him in a way that he'll get it or because dad didn't say it, it's better, you know? 
But him being on that team will make him a better player, even though he could say, well, don't waste your time with that team. We'll just do it, just you and me. That's it. This is all we ever need. Well, are you ever going to be on a team or are you going to be the best baseball player that's never played in a game before? What's the point? Being on the team, and, and the best thing is, you see him, he's enjoying it. He's hanging out with these kids and, you know, oh, yeah, the kid Rooks took one off the face. Yeah, wow. And you're like, you know his name? Yeah, he's my friend now. Okay, cool. That's like us, right? We grow together. As we do, we will be blessed. But it's, it's all about unity and keeping our eyes on the main thing. Division will rear its ugly head. Satan loves division. And it is the most devastating thing to the church. Division just, it, and it burns people. It makes people turn off. makes them not want to love each other because they get, they get burned and they, there's division and there's hurt and there's pain. But let's not let that stop us from continuing to move forward. I'll tell you right now, the key is the blood of Jesus. The key is, is that forgiveness of sins, is growing in him, following him. He is our guide. He is our life. He's, and Paul even said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what we're going to do. Follow Christ. Grow together. And that's, that's the goal, that we would be able to run to win. I've, there's been like a thing for me of uh, 2019, I feel like over and over again, year of growth. <laughs> year of growth. That's, everybody says that. Oh, yeah, this is year of growth. This one's it. But for me, it's just like seriously like let's just, conti- let's just continue to grow. Let's just put away the stuff that we know is hurting us. Let's take off the you know, wood clogs so we can run, put on some, sh- some good shoes Put on some athletic gear, you know, don't, not just jeans. Get rid of the stuff that's, that's holding you back. Get that chain wallet and throw it back in the 90s, you know. It's probably back now, right? Is the chain wallet back? It is? Okay, cool. I've got some, yeah. And just get rid of all that junk so we can, we can grow together. We can run to win. That's the point. Take it seriously. Let's, let's do it. We're, we have a... Communion, first Sunday of the month, communion, uh, an opportunity to taste of, of uh, and be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross, right? His body broken for us, represented in the bread, the gluten-free bread, okay? Um, I thought this was important. But the, his body broken and pierced for us, for our sins, when we... we eat of it, we can recognize the great price that he paid and the blood that covers us. The blood that just completely covers us and, and the blood that was shed on that cross uh, in Calvary some over 2,000 years ago. So we're going to take some time uh, this morning and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have an extra song. I would encourage you to come up and grab it. Just if you're a believer, grab the uh, bread and a cup and, and go back to maybe your seat and and just kind of lay some things out before the Lord. Maybe some stuff that you know has been holding you back or maybe some even some divisions or something that, that's been holding you back from running, like, like you're training, like running to win. And, uh, and lay it all at the foot of the cross because that, that, it, it was all taken care of on the cross. All of it, all the sins, everything, past, present, future, lay it all down and, and move forward today, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for...